What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, what are you made of? What are you made of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy and subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, Mike C-Rock. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so thankful to have you as a listener and a supporter of the What Are You Made Of movement, along with the new Rocket Fuel movement and the Rocket Fuel book that is out now. Go get a copy, MikeCRock.com forward slash book, MikeCRock.com forward slash book. Learn how to convert setbacks and become unstoppable. And that forward on that book was written by a guy named Grant Cardone. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, Mr. 10X, Mr. Cardone Enterprises, top sales trainer in the world. Uh, you know, I was very thankful and, and, and proud to have him write the forward for the book and kind of endorse it. And so, um, you know, when you read that uh, little forward that he wrote, you'll probably get chills. But go get that book, share one with your family, friends, coworkers, and uh, I'll be truly thankful for that. And guys, today I have a friend of mine coming to join the show. She has a great story. I've been fortunate to meet with her and actual in person at a mastermind in Las Vegas recently. Um, just an all-around great person, along with the other people that we hung out with. You know, I, I was really uh, blown away by the, the the caliber of human beings, not just success, mm. but encouraging, loving people. And you know, it's uh, it, it was really powerful to all get together. So, my guest today, Amberly, is it Lago? Mm-hmm. Okay, Amberly Lago is a health and wellness coach, TEDx speaker, podcaster, and leading expert in the field of resilience and transformation. She is the best-selling author of True Grit and Grace. And empowers people around the world by sharing her story, how she turned a tragedy into triumph. By the way, you're going to hear some other things here. We're going to get into it where she needs to learn to look both ways, but we'll get into that in a minute. (laughs) I I hate to make a joke about that, but it's an inside joke. We'll get to it in a second. Uh, Through her book, Coaching Methods and Workshops, she has curated unique tools to teach others how to tap into their superpower of resilience and persevere through any of life's challenges. She offers hope and solutions for anyone like her living in chronic pain to live life to the fullest. By the way, guys, you, you, this is like one of these people that really fits into the what are you made of you know, concept here and the rocket fuel concept. Uh, Amberly has most recently been featured on NBC's The Today Show, The Doctors, Hallmark, Good Morning, La La Land, contributed to magazines such as Shape, Fit Pregnancy, Health, Keynote Speaker Magazine, Disability Magazine, and the What Are You Made Of podcast. Amberly, welcome to What Are You Made Of? Hey, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. It's always so much fun to get to hang out with you and talk to you. I had so much fun in Vegas. Yeah, you know, and and we didn't even get into any trouble. So I know. <laughs> next time, next time, you know, I, I always tell my wife, like, I go out to Vegas and I, I do business. But when she comes, that's when I get into trouble. So we'll bring the spouses next time and then we'll all get into some trouble. That sounds good to me. I, you know what? When we were leaving, I thought, gosh, I, I, I wish I had one more day here because yeah. it felt like freedom getting to go eat at a restaurant and just be. It was the first time I've been around people since COVID. And I did not realize just how much I missed being around people and hugging. And it was just, you know, 
we were all safe about it, but my gosh, I yeah. left there. Just my spirits were so full. Yeah, Things were good to be around you. Uh, thank you. It's crazy. It's crazy that you guys had such a different world in California than we do in Maryland. I mean, you know, we get to go out to eat with no problems. You know, we got to wear masks. The capacity limits are lower now, but um, there's no clubs or bars, which I didn't do much of anyway. So everything else, the gym's open. I mean, so it's just a s- totally different world. How you guys are. It it, it feels off. like a different world. I mean, at, at least now our trails were are, are open and our parks are open, but for a long time, that wasn't even open. You couldn't even go for a hike or go to a park. It was insane. Yeah. It just, you know, and so going to Vegas and being around people, going to a restaurant, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it, this feels so good. This is, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like a different world and it makes you even more grateful for the things that you get to do those little freedoms. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, it's just crazy to think about that. You guys have to deal with that, but um, well, listen, we start to show off. We got a little bit chatty there for a second, but I, I have a tradition of starting the show uh, with the question, what are you made of? So Amberly, what are you made of? Grit and grace. That's right. <laughs> I knew you were no, going to say that. <laughs> yeah, you knew. Well, you know what? I think when you go through a really tough time in life is when you find out what you're made of. You find out what your true friends are made of, whether or not they're going to stick around, whether, you know, they're going to uh, lift you up and encourage you to carry on. Or, you know, I've, I've really learned a lot through the past 10 years after I was hit by an SUV while riding my motorcycle. And that's why he, he was kidding around about look both ways, because I managed to at, even have fun with you guys in Vegas, which I, I wasn't quite sure I was even going to make that trip because I was hit by another car. This time it was my daughter and I, we were going through a crosswalk and we were on our little razors, our scooters and hit by a car. And it was like, oh my gosh, okay, what am I made of? You know, um, it it does take a lot of grit, but what I've had to learn the hard way, because I'm really good at pushing through and sucking it up. And I had to learn the hard way that suck it up doesn't, it works until it doesn't like you can't continue to stuff down the feelings. And, you know, I got to a point where I was trying to just numb out the pain, both the physical and the emotional. Um, And then when I got hit again by a car, I was like, Oh wow, this is, what is the universe trying to tell me or teach me? Hold up. Hold up. A couple of things before you go further. One, you you're telling me that you were storing it in your trunk instead of your tank. That's sucking it up. When you suck it up, Oh, suck that, it up. That's, you're, you're weighing it down and you're storing it in your trunk, mm-hmm. right? I talk about that exactly. a lot. Exactly. Store it in your tank and use it as fuel. It's different. And that's what you figured out, right? That's what I figured out. That's what I had to learn the hard way. And see, I didn't realize that I was putting a lot of stuff, like stuffing it in the trunk. Um, but I was stuffing so many feelings from that started early in childhood from sexual abuse from my stepfather as a little kid, from um, physical abuse, from a, a really horrible first marriage that was abusive. And, you know, I was married to a drug addict and alcoholic and I just stuffed all that down. So like you said, I was putting it in the trunk and it wasn't until I had this life altering accident where, you know, I woke up out of a coma 
And they said I had a 1% chance of saving my leg from amputation, which I was a professional dancer and fitness instructor and sponsored by Nike and doing infomercials. And I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Body by Jake, but I was had done infomercials with him. Yeah. I was hired to um, hold mitts for people. I was Krav Maga. I mean, I used, I did use the physical abuse to, that's what inspired me to get into Krav Maga. And I became, you know, a, a, had a belt in Krav Maga, but I didn't realize I was stuffing a lot of the feelings down, a lot of the pain, because for so long I was taught to, to suck it up, to cowgirl up and just, you know, whatever it takes, you just doesn't matter. You don't listen to your body. You don't listen to the pain. You just keep hustling and moving forward. And it wasn't until I had this accident where I couldn't stuff it down anymore. I could not, it was too much to bear. And I, there was a moment where I had to decide if I wanted to continue to live or if I was going down the route I was on where I'd started drinking every day to try to stuff down the pain if I wanted to go a different route. And thank God I decided that I wanted more. I think my children inspired me. Um, If it weren't for them and for God, I don't know if I would have made the decision to continue on. But for anybody listening, you know, I know it's been a really hard year for some people, but it, and you know, we all go through hard times. And I think at that moment, that was the hardest moment of my life was when, you know, I had lost my job. I had $2.9 million worth of medical expenses. My hope was barely there. My baby brother just got sentenced to death in Texas for a crime he committed. Um, my stepmother had just committed suicide. I was like, this is all too much to bear. And I just wanted to check out. And it wasn't until um, I said I'm made of grit and the grace part is God was when I started praying and I was like, I need help. I can't do this alone. I can't carry this weight anymore. I need help. And that was when there was that little bit of light left in me. I think that I was like, I need to call someone because I had, you know, pain has a way of making us isolate. For me, it does anyway, where I was like, I don't want anybody to know I'm in pain. I don't want to complain about this. I, I just, so on the outside, I was trying to pretend like everything was okay. And on the inside, I was just dying on the inside. And it wasn't until I really accepted where I was and um, became aware of exactly what was going on and then reached out for help that I start to get stronger and start to see light at the end of the tunnel. But yeah. How long ago was that, that you stopped drinking? God willing, I'll have five years in March. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you don't drink at all now? Like it's- No, I don't drink at all now. I've been sober now. I don't drink at all. I don't do anything that will make me feel fuzzy or different from the head up. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's like, good. Man. I, I mean, I gotta stay clear. I, I went through a phase probably 18 to 25 where I was going hard and I got off track. I, that, that wasn't me, you know, same kind of thing, like dealing mm-hmm. with life's stuff and uh, got to college and chasing girls and doing, just doing things that met other people's agenda instead of the one I had set out on. And, but now I'm, I think that, you know, I don't know how I can do it, but I mean, I can have one or two and I'm good. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I, I don't think that I have that problem where I turn it on and I can't turn it off. Because you're not an alcoholic then. I well, mean, I, I, I drank a lot. Let me tell you, like I drank a lot and, you know, I, and I don't know if I, uh, you know, I've had that problem as far as like the, 
allergic reaction to alcohol where you just keep going. I don't know what that is, but I do know that when I go now, I have a drink. I like to like just have a beer or something. I'm good. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think I'm a, I'm an energy, not an energy, an action junkie. Like to me, when I was in college, it was like, that was the thing to do. And that was like, I felt like I was going to miss out and I was going to, if I stayed in and read a book or <laughs> just watched TV, I was, I don't know. Like the, the thing that we were chasing was like action and girls. And it was weird. I, I don't know how to explain that. I don't think I, I think I just laid off of it until I was 18 and got to college. And then it just all of a sudden was thrown in my face, like the whole scene. And uh, yeah, so well, I was see, I always, I always thought I was so different because um, while all my friends were going to the bars, I was busy collecting their tips. I was working my ass off and just. <laughs> That's another inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So oh, by the way, before you, before you get into that, I got to say something. So for those of you who think I'm a jerk for saying look both ways and she needs to learn that, she did mention if you listened closely that she was hit three times, not once or twice, but three times, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why we were saying that. And then we also were talking to her about uh, another book project that she should write that might be named something like that. So that's yeah. why I, I just want everybody to, to not think that I'm a jerk off. And uh, so but anyway, yeah, so. Um, but yeah, they she, wouldn't think that about you anyway. <laughs> I know, I know, but. But anyway, so you were saying, I apologize, I cut you off again, but uh, you were saying something about when I was talking about it was like just at that scene was, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I was just saying that, you know, that's, I thought I was so different because I thought I was, well, I thought I was different. I didn't want to be like, I have a lot of alcoholism in my family. And I was like, I'm so different. I'm the athlete. I'm the one that's going to make something of herself. And, and I had a huge company and employed several people and, and then lo and behold, when I lost everything, when my leg was deformed from the hip down, I couldn't, you know, I used running. Um, exercise was my medicine. And when I couldn't do that, I mean, I could, I did have a friend bring me some dumbbells in the hospital and I was doing like little dumbbells. I had a doctor install a pull-up bar in the bed and I could do that. But to go from being an athlete to having bed sores and having somebody have to take your bedpan for you is very humbling. And I had no tools. I didn't know how to deal with it. And so eventually after I was diagnosed with this uh, disease called dubbed the suicide disease, because it's ranked highest on the pain scale and it leaves you in constant chronic pain. I was like, Oh my gosh, you mean this is never going to get better? Like I'm, I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life. This is it. A lot of people kill themselves because they're like, I can't deal with this pain or they slowly kill themselves with drugs or alcohol. And I remember taking a drink and thinking, Oh man, this is great. But why didn't the doctors just tell me to have a drink? That kind of, you know, cools down that nerve pain a little bit. And I remember thinking, this is not the healthiest thing to do, but if I have to do this every day, then I guess I'm going to have to do it to get through the day of pain. And I could not believe how quickly that alcoholism was just like waiting ready. It was like back there doing push-ups, ready for me, waiting and everything was just right and I remember going, how did a good girl like me get to a place like this? And the thing is, there alcoholism does it doesn't discriminate. Pain doesn't discriminate. Adversity doesn't discriminate. And it's up to us to make our life better. And luckily, I was in a place where I was like, like you were like, what, what happened? This is not meant for me. I was like, 
this is not, there's got to be more to life there. This is not my life. I am not going to live the rest of my life like this. And um, it's been a lot of work. And because I think that transformation and recovery isn't just a physical thing. It's not just a mental thing. It's mind, body, and spirit. And so I try to, you know, I practice recovery every single day through the, the moment I wake up to the minute I go to bed. And if I don't, I feel it and I don't feel good. And I don't, you know, and I'm like you, I like that. I, well, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. Like I think that's why I was on my motorcycle in the first place. I mean, I grew up on motorcycles. This was my second motorcycle and, you know, going fat. I mean, I was only going 20 miles an hour when I got T-boned. I wasn't going fast, but I love being that sense of freedom or excitement, you know, I was so bummed in Vegas when I had, that was a big thing for me to say, no, I got to sit this zip lining out because man, I love to jump out of planes. I've, uh, you know, flying trapeze bungee jumped. So we got to go to Vegas so I can do that zip line. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you saw, there's some of those pictures of my face, how scared to death, but, but I just jumped right up there and just knocked it out. So um, I'm not, I, the heights get me sometimes, but what is gratitude meant to you, uh, in your recovery and on your journey now? Um, I think gratitude is my medicine and it's something that I do every day. Gratitude is for me, a practice that I do every day. And I think I really discovered how much it can change your life when I was in the hospital, when there was a time I was sitting in the bed and I didn't sleep because it, of the pain. My leg was completely open. I had metal rods that were just holding it together because the, the bones were crumbled into pieces. And so I would have a day of surgery and a day of recovery and a day of surgery and a day of recovery. And they would have to come and take the peel, these sheets off of my leg that was exposed. Like every three hours, they would peel these bandages off. And I remember I was in there watching TV and it was either like law and order or infomercials. And there was this infomercial on about how to get that Brazilian butt. And I remember going, Oh my God. Oh, Brazilian butts. No, I'm just kidding. I'll never have it. (laughs) I was like, I'm out. I probably won't ever wear a bikini again. I'm going to be deformed. Will I ever walk again? Am I going to be able to work? Like I just started stacking up the negative thoughts and emotions. And I was like, oh my God, I got to do something about this. And I grabbed a journal and I started writing down everything I was grateful for. I started writing down every single one of the nurses' names that came in and and helped me. I wrote down all my friends and clients, my clients that were coming, bringing me flowers and food. And I was grateful that I had this little window in the room and I couldn't go outside, but I could see the sky. And so all these little things I noticed, they were taking my mind off of the what ifs and the anxiety and and the depression And it was really switching my mindset to all the possibilities and all the things that I still could do and all the things that I still had. And so ever since then, I have really made it a practice of every day I get up, I text um, my sponsor, actually, I have a sponsor and I text her, we text each other every single morning, three things that we're grateful for. And then we text each other like a reading out of either a self-development book or a spiritual book, something that was meaningful to us that day. And then in bed, when I get in bed every night, um, 
my daughter and I cuddle and we talk about one thing that we're grateful for. And usually hers is something like really silly, like, I'm grateful that I'm a good twerker or like something crazy. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, that's good. Um, And then we talk about what is the best thing that happened to you today? So it shifts our mindset to something that we're grateful for in the morning and at night. And that might seem like a lot, but it really changes my day because the minute that I wake up and take a step out of the bed, I'm in pain and I could easily go down that route of, I can't walk normal. I can't work out today or what, whatever I can't, whatever I can't do, how, how awful things are. Even now, you know, being in California and things being locked down and shut, it's like, I could sit there and complain about, you know, oh, I can't go to the gym or I could go, okay, what can I do? Well, I can take what I have at home, make a little gym in my garage and I could work out there. And so I think that gratitude is the gateway to a better life, to transformation, to living a life of joy. And I think that um, to be resilient and to be unstoppable and to have that rocket fuel, that gratitude is what really helps you get that way. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. Yeah, I didn't doubt about it, man. We were shut down for a small period of time where the gym was closed and all that. And we quickly found a garage like that. That was, you know, I'm in the mode of stubbornness, which we talked about in Vegas. I will not I be love stopped. That. Like I refuse to be stopped. Like there's just, I will find a way I'll find, I'm like water going through like a cement and just looking for the crack. Like, where's the crack, man? I know it's here somewhere. Like not, not crack, crack, but the crack in the (laughs) crack in the cement, you know, (laughs) I'm like out there looking for the crack, but like, you know how the water just finds, (laughs) it finds the place to go. It'll find its way. And Mm -hmm. that's what I always like. I think it's so important to have a mindset of relentlessness and stubbornness, like stubbornness, stubbornness isn't the wrong thing unless it's, you know, long as it's on the right thing. And, um, you know, so so how does that rocket fuel concept and and your pacer concept that you talk about, how do, how does that carry you going forward so that you can be proactive with it? And so that like cuz I'm big on that proactiveness, like so that you know like look, I can't be stopped. <laughs> it is what it is. Sorry. Yeah, no, and I love that and and um my husband has two terms of endearment for me, like my nicknames. He either calls me crazy or stubborn. Those are my nicknames. <laughs> And I'm now I'm like, thanks. Yeah, because I think that stubborn can get you far. And I think that um, it's also being flexible. And I like your analogy of the water because it finds a way and it it goes with the flow. And I think that that's what we have to do, too, is kind of sometimes I get I can find myself being so stubborn that I'm like, "Uh, no, I'm going to make this work. And then sometimes if I just let go. And I'm in alignment with what is important to me and what my priorities are, then I feel like it's more of a flow, you know? Um, but I do uh, think I have this word, I, I remind myself pacer. And now, whether I like it or not, my husband reminds me, pacer, Amberly, pacer, you're leaving off the R of pacer. And, and so pacer stands for perspective, acceptance, community, endurance, and rest. And those are the things that I really focus on every day that allow me to be unstoppable. Because look, there's a lot of people 
that have the same nerve disease as me. And, you know, they, they're in a wheelchair. I mean, I was told I'd be in a wheelchair and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, my brother's been in a wheelchair his whole life. I just wanted more. I wanted to be able to run again. If doctors were like, you're never going to run again. I'm like, Oh, watch me. I use that as motivation to propel me forward and push me forward. And so to me, the perspective is something I work on every single day. And I do that with gratitude. I do that by counting my blessings. And I think that resilient people really focus like laser focus on things that are really important, like the positive in their life versus the negative, because it's easy to stack up those negatives. And it's up to us, you know, we can manufacture happiness, we can manufacture, it's up to us. Happiness isn't just giving to uh, given to us, it's something that we have to make. And so by really throughout the day, shifting my perspective, and sometimes we need help with that, you know, um, Like, I remember there was a time I was sitting in the kitchen and I was just frustrated and I was angry and just angry at my leg, like, because it didn't work properly. It was giving me so much pain. And I was like, I hate my leg. Look at it. I hate it. It doesn't work. And hate's a four letter word in, in our family. And I was like, I hate, I just want the doctors to cut it off. And my husband was like, I can't believe you just said that. It was like, do you know how lucky you are? You have both your legs. Like you can go swimming right now and not have a prosthetic leg that would rust or get in your way or have to worry about taking it on or off. He goes, you should be so grateful. And so sometimes it takes somebody around us to kind of help us shift our perspective. Yep. And and yep. and acceptance, I think, is the next part of PACER. And it's really the beginning of any transformation or healing journey. Because if we're not in acceptance for where we are, we can't do things to make our life better. Like for me, I did not want to accept that I had this nerve disease. And I went to doctor after doctor after doctor. I was like, uh, yeah, they said I had this nerve disease or sometimes did that, I would stem from the ac- did that stem from the accident? Yeah. That, okay. I was diagnosed uh, about three and a half months after the accident. I thought maybe it was just pain because my leg was crushed, but then when it wasn't getting better, that's when they're like, uh, no, you've got something a little more serious. And I was in denial. I did not want to take my medication. I, you know, I was, it, but that's like being a diabetic or having diabetes and going, Oh, I'm just not going to take insulin. It's like, then your body can't work properly. You need to do what you can do so you can, you know, so if I have to take medication in order to be able to walk, then I need to take the medication. I mean, it's just a no brainer. Um, But acceptance was really hard for me. I didn't want to admit that I was an alcoholic. It was like, who wants to admit that? But when I did, it was freedom. And I remember telling my oldest daughter, I waited till I was about six months sober. Uh, before I had the conversation with my oldest daughter, who she didn't see me at my worst. She was off in school before, you know, before it got really bad. And I remember telling her that I was sober and she goes, I didn't know how she would react. And she goes, oh, she started crying. And she was like, that's why. Well, at least there's hope. Like she had hope. When we're in acceptance, it gives us hope. Like, oh, okay, well, that's what it is. Well, now we can do things to get better. And so, and also when we're in acceptance and we share, you know, authentically and vulnerably, it led me to a community of people that, man, I have such an incredible tribe. And I think community is powerful. I mean, just like when we were in Vegas 
it was powerful to have this group of entrepreneurs that were so heart-centered and driven and, and we can, we thrive and that energy is contagious when we're together. It's like, boom, the energy is like so powerful. And I think that shout out to Greg Reed, by the way, for pulling that together. Shannon Parsons, Greg Reed. Uh, We appreciate you guys. Yeah, that was, that was amazing. I knew, um, I knew when I heard that he was going to have a mastermind, um, I called Shannon, right. Or Shannon called me, I emailed her. She called me right back. And then our first, you know, week we were there, I was like, Oh my God, sea rocks here. And I only knew you from Instagram. And then we, I think we were destined to meet because we have a lot of similar views and have a lot of the same friends. And then we ended up being in this mastermind together. And so that, that community is powerful. I think it might be one of the most powerful things about Pacer. And the next part is endurance, which I think is where that rocket fuel comes in. It's where your passion and your perseverance comes into play. It's where you use things that, that could be a negative and you turn it to a positive. It's really where I, you know, we're not always going to be motivated. And so it's where I focus on what is my intention? What what's your why? Like when I focus on why I want to do something, I am fired up and I'm like, okay, let's go. It's like, you might not always feel like working out, but I focus on the reason why I do it. And it's because it shifts my mood. It combats my pain. It gives me more confidence. So when I focus on that, it gives me the endurance to keep going and to keep moving forward. And then that last part of Pacer is R for rest. And that's the part that is the hardest for me. It's the part that I tend to learn over and over and over. And when I just got hit by a car again, I was like, good Lord, is this the universe like trying to tell me to rest? Like this is, I'm stubborn, but I'm not that stubborn. I don't have to be hit by another car (laughs) to learn this lesson. But I mean, sometimes, you know, I used to think that resting was quitting. And what I've had to learn is, man, you know, I was thinking about this the other day how I've tried to start getting eight hours of sleep a night and how much better I feel when I can just get a good night's sleep. I'm sharper. I I can be more creative. I end up getting more done during yep. the day because 100%. I feel more productive. And I thought, why did I feel this need where I was like, nope, I only get four hours of sleep because I got to get all this stuff done. And it's like, we char- I would charge my phone more than I would charge myself more than I would even <laughs> yeah, schedule that's... a lunch break or time to breathe or anything. Yeah. And... And I, you you got to be intentional with that. Like I'll look at my phone, I'll set an alarm the, the night before, not so that I, you know, get up from the alarm, but so that I look at it when I set it, it says alarm set for eight hours from now or seven hours and 50 minutes from now, because I'm intentional with that, making sure that that rest um, comes. Now I will tell you that I cannot sit still on the couch. I can't lay on the couch. I can't watch football. Like I used to, like I used to lay on the couch all day and watch football on Sundays. That's like crazy to me. I, I, I feel like I have to be producing. I have to be creating. I have to be doing something sleep though at night, seven, eight hours is non-negotiable. And it's for mm-hmm. that reason. Yeah. I, I'm with you. Yeah, for me too. And I mean, I have an alarm on my phone too, and it starts blinking when it, it'll say bedtime. <laughs> And it's like, for me, when I get that, it's like time to let go of all electronics. I'm not returning any more email. Like I've gotten really intentional about scheduling breaks because I used to just work, 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 work and client after client after client. And I would not even schedule like a lunch break for myself. And 
that changed when a friend of mine saw me and, and he was like, you look like you're staring like a deer into headlights. And I was like, oh, I've been back to back clients. And I'm really, he goes, I haven't eaten. And he's like, would you send your kid to school and without right. sleep and, and no lunch? And I'm like, absolutely not. And he goes, then why would you do that with yourself? Yeah. And that really like hit home. Like I wouldn't do that to my child. Why would I do that to myself? You know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm very intentional. I, I not one, like I can't take naps. I'm the same as you. I'm not one to ever watch TV even. In fact, when my husband and I first started dating and he came over to my house, he was like, where's the TV? And I'm like, oh, I don't have a TV. And he's like, you don't have a TV? <laughs> And I'm like, well, I have one downstairs, but it's not hooked up to cable, but the kids can watch like, you know, we had VCRs back then, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah. I'm like well, you and Sundays are my planning day. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question on acceptance. Let's go back to acceptance for a minute. And, you know, going through abuse as a, as a young child, um, you know, I went through emotional and psychological abuse. It wasn't physical or sexual abuse or anything like that, but similar abuse, um, and the issue that I have at times is like talking about it and the fact that um, those people are still alive. And then I know they hear it. And then I've had people that are involved, like reach out to people that I go on people's podcasts and say, oh, he's full of it. And he's st they're still trying to get at me. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. it still hasn't ended. Like, how do you, how do you handle that as far as coming to acceptance, I guess, and the fact of with it being family and, and, and people still, I don't know if they're still alive or not, or how does that all come into, uh, well, I, I think that uh, I, I totally get what you're saying though, because I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to process and acceptance. Here's the thing. We can be an acceptance for our, our story, what happened, um, our past, our feelings, our perspective, that's ours. And we can own that. We can't control the way other people heal, the way other people don't heal, if someone else accepts what's gone on or not. And I think as a, as a child, I mean, when I was about probably 11, the abuse started when I was eight. I think when I was about 11, I went to my dad and, you know, I didn't want to tell anybody because my stepdad had told me that if I told anyone then he would kill my mom. And I believed him. And are they still, is that he's still alive now? No, he oh. actually, as soon as he found out, like um, my ex-husband actually did me a huge favor. My ex-husband was, I probably shouldn't even say this because I don't want my oldest daughter to hear, but he was, he was terrible. He was, you, you know, and when he finally laid a hand on me is when I was like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm not going to be in a marriage where, it's okay to hit a woman. I was taking the cheating. I was taking the, the emotional abuse and how he treated me. But the minute he laid a hand on me, I was like, I'm out. And he realized he, there, he couldn't hurt me. There was nothing else he could do. And I had shared with him um, that I was abused by my stepdad and my mom, my mom and my stepdad were still married at the time. And he called my mom and he was like, do you know what your husband did to my wife? And I was like, terrified. I didn't want to hurt my mom. I didn't, it was like my biggest, so your mom never darkest, knew until that point. She didn't know. Oh, and he was like trying to think of any way he could hurt me. And he knew he couldn't hurt me. I was like over, I was done. 
And so he got to my mom knowing that would hurt me, but it ended up, you know, sometimes when we're going through those moments like that, it seems like the worst thing that can ever happen. And then we realize it's the biggest blessing because once my mom knew, um, I could finally like talk about it. And she flew out to California and well, before that she went over to him, he was asleep on the couch and she punched him as hard as she could. And my mom is the sweetest, like Southern belle until you mess with her kid. And she punched him as hard as she could. And she was like, well, is it true? Did you do that to Amberly? And he couldn't answer. And she goes, well, then I guess it is true. And he just looked down. She flew to California to come be with me for my, um, I had to go to court for my divorce and I had a one-year-old at the time and she got back and he was gone. He left her with a handicapped or disabled, my brother, younger brother, who's disabled and he's still in a wheelchair and my sister who was 13 at the time. And he was just missing for years, couldn't paid no child support, nothing gone, left her with two kids. And he ended up living about an hour from me and he died of testicular cancer about four years ago. So I always felt like, I mean, he, the psychological crap he used to do on me, oh my God, to try to break me down and make me feel worthless. And, And he did, he did. I had to find my worth and he used to, I didn't cry. C Rock, I did not cry until I was about probably from age 11 till about, I think I was 25 years old. I did not cry. And um, because he would look at me and he would say, (laughs) he would push me and push me and bring me down and knock me down and knock me down. And then I would cry and he would laugh at me and point in my face and say, see, I told you I'd get you. And so I learned it was my defense not to cry. So now I remember running through an airport with my daughter and we had missed our plane and I dropped all my bags and tears came out and she goes, mama, I didn't know you knew how to cry. (laughs) And I was like, wow, this is the first time I've cried. And man, those tears, those, I, I, I am really big on let it out and cry. And I think the first year that I got sober, Holy cow, the floodgates were open. All <laughs> the, the water. That, There's the water. It was finding it, its way. It's there there was the water. It was <laughs> like the floodgates were open. And, and you know, my, my husband, who's this big, tough lieutenant commander with a highway patrol, and he's all about, don't cry, be tough. And so <laughs> he'll tell my daughter, like, why are you crying to, you know, why, why are you crying? Oh, come on, suck it up. And I'm like, Ruby, you cry, you let it all out. So I'm, like, I'm sure she's going to need therapy when she gets older. Cause she's going to be like, do I cry? Do I suck it up? Do I? <laughs> well, look, Amberly, I could talk to you all day. Um, you know, we have a lot in common, a lot to talk about, but, uh, but I will, uh, I want to get, you know, I know your time's valuable, but I want to get out to the audience. Um, you know, how, how can they get engaged with you, um, your book and all that jazz? Can you, can you share that? Yeah. You know, please reach out and let me know that you heard me on with C-Rock. Cause, um, I just, I love you. I love that. Uh, we have, we have a s- similar heart. I think we come from a very similar place and you can find me at amberlylago.com. You can also text me, text the word grit to 818 
214-737-7378. And I'll send you a Goals, Grit, and Grace workbook because I think it's one thing you hear something, you get inspired. This workbook will allow you to really like align on what your intentions are and take action to get there. And it also outlines Pacer. Awesome. I love Pacer. Love it. I think the R really stands for rocket fuel, not rest, but uh, that that's- Oh, a, you know, that's you know, it. Could be. It could be. I don't know. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, you know, for your friendship. And I look forward to working with you in the future on some things, maybe some projects. I mean, there's so much things that, you know, so many, so much potential out there for us. And I'm looking forward to that. So thank you very much, Amberly. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. All right, guys, you've been listening to the, what are you made of podcast with your boy, Mike C-Rock. I appreciate you supporting my guests. It's a, it's an honor to have them on. And I would just request that you go support them and anything that they could uh, help you out with, any issues that you're dealing with, and just pick up some one or two things from each of these podcasts to implement in your life. And until next time, be good. I'm your boy, C-Rock. Go get that Rocket Fuel book. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, mikecrock.com forward slash book. That's mikecrock.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode.